Well, during this Christmas season, as we come together Sunday mornings, we're talking about this reflection upon the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, from the biblical accounts, we know that, that Emmanuel is Jesus, that the Son of God, born of Mary and Joseph. And if you're with us last week, or if you weren't, you can go online and listen to it or watch the message online. We, we learned that, that Emmanuel means God with us, and that we walk through the events leading up to the birth of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of Emmanuel. But we also looked a bit at the backstory. Where did that word come from? Uh, back to the time of Ahaz, where that uh, King Ahaz, when Isaiah came in and said, Emmanuel be, will be a sign of hope. Emmanuel will be a sign of assurance that God is with you, that, that God is for you. And that found uh, its immediate fulfillment in that situation, but its ultimate fulfillment for all people in the birth of Jesus Christ. And that promise, Emmanuel, brings exactly that to us. It brings us the sense of assurance. And that hope is available to all of his people. You know, even the name Jesus gives us a sense of hope. The name Jesus means, means savior. He saves. It means to save. As the angel told Mary and Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in biblical times, naming kids was actually a fairly easy thing to do. Not like today where it gets much more complex. Now, I'm sure a lot of us here who, who have been parents and, and we go through that time where we have our favorite names from the time we're small. We're like, oh, my first daughter, my first son, I know that's going to be the name. Or maybe we have these family names that get passed down from generation to generation and, and form a bit of a tradition in our lives. But any of you who have had more than a couple of kids, you realize you run out of those after a little while. And it gets a little bit more tricky. And it doesn't become so much a list of what you can name your child. It becomes more a list of what you can't name. And you start sitting with your partner going, well, we can't name them after any of our exes that we may have. There was this bully in high school, and I'm certainly not going to be reminded of that by naming my child that. We do have family names that we could use that are good things. But we have family names we aren't going to use because that would be a bad thing that we go through. So you go through all of these different names, and you have to go through the process of, well, what if we name him this? Well, he's going to get teased if we name him that. They're going to shorten it. Do we want to shorten it? Do we want to lengthen it? It's a complex factor. For, our, for us, our first two kids, Kalina and Samuel, easy. They're born they're named. We told the nurses. They got the little card, and they wrote their name on the card, stuck the card in the plastic bassinet, and right from the moment they were born, they had a name. Joshua, he was baby X for three days. Baby X for three days until we came to an understanding of what we were going to call him. You know, in biblical times, a person's name had a lot of meaning. Quite often, what they were referred to as was based upon events or significance that happened in their lives. For example, the, the name Adam. Adam means ground or earth. And when you read in Genesis, it says that God formed him from the dust of the ground. The name Samuel means asked of God. And if you go to the book of 1 Samuel, in the opening chapters there, you read about how his mother Hannah was not able to have children, but desperately wanted to have a son. And so she went to the temple and she pleaded and prayed and she asked God for a son. Abraham, that name means father of many. And as you can read throughout the opening uh, verses, uh, chapters in Genesis, from Genesis 12 through 17 in particular, you see that God says, you will be the father of many nations. Uh, the name Esau you know what Esau means? It means Harry. He was just a hairy baby. So they named him Harry when he was born. 
See, these names have meaning, what we find in Scripture. And with Jesus Christ, it's no different. When Jesus was born, he is Emmanuel. He was named, he was referred to as God with us, the fulfillment of that. But there's other names that he used, has in reference to him as well. Or more accurately, not names, but titles and designations as to who he is. Because he was the one of whom it was foretold would be known in name and in nature as the wonderful counselor, as the mighty God, as the everlasting father and the prince of peace. These four names, these titles, these designations as to who he is are what we're going to look at over the next four services starting today. And with each one, we're going to consider what is the implication, what is the meaning behind it, and how does that empower me? How does that impact me and my life here today in this season and beyond? And we're going to start today by talking about Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor. Now, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the wonderful counselor? Well, these two words, wonderful and counselor, come from two Hebrew words that, that sound like, like pele yats. Now, pele means wonderful. But the way we use this word wonderful is, is different than what it means in Hebrew. When we say something is wonderful, we mean, oh, it's, it's a wonderful day. You, you did a wonderful job. He's, he's a wonderful person. We tend to use the word wonderful to mean things like likable and, and pleasant and lovely. But the word wonderful, pele, in Hebrew, it actually means indescribable. It means that something is completely beyond understanding, that if we have a concept to describe, and it is wonderful in the sense of pele, that, that there are no words that can do it justice. And so when Isaiah is describing this future Messiah that was to come, he's saying, he's saying his greatness is beyond description. His greatness is beyond words. I cannot find words to describe how wonderful, how great he's going to be. This word, yaetz, means counselor. Uh, one who advises, one who guides and provides direction to another. And so even though God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, the one who rules and reigns in eternal majesty, the one who is sovereign over all things, all time and all people, the one of whom there are no words to describe, even though that is who we're talking about. When we talk about it in terms of the yaets, it's saying this wonderful counselor personally knows you. He personally loves you, cares about you, and relates to you. We read about this in, in the, as the author of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us when he speaks about Jesus as our high priest and he says this. He says, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet is without sin. In this verse he's saying that Jesus knows you. Jesus understands what you are going through. He was born to this world. He walked this earth. He knows the strife. He knows the temptation. He knows the pain. He knows the sting of loss. Yet he overcame it. He was victorious in it. In every situation, he was victorious in every way. And because of that, because of his victory, therefore, let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive, that we may find that grace in our time of need. You see, Jesus is the one who has blazed the trail, who has gone ahead of us, and all wisdom and all knowledge of God resides in him. Therefore, this Christmas, 
Whatever situation you may find yourself in, in this moment, in this Christmas, if you need help, if you need guidance, if you need, you know you need Pele Yahetz, there's good news. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, we have a wonderful counselor. We have one of whom we can talk to, one we can listen to, and one that we can confidently follow. We have one we can talk to, we can listen to, and we can confidently follow. But if that's going to become a reality in our lives, there's some steps that we need to take. I want to spend a few minutes today talking to you about what those steps look like. And the first one is this. The first one is that, quite simply, we need to recognize our need for the wonderful counselor. In Luke chapter 5, early on in Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus is walking along the the shore, and he comes across a group of people who are paying their taxes to, to a tax collector named Matthew. And Jesus cuts through the crowd and walks up to Matthew and invites Matthew to come be a follower of him. Now, this was scandalous because people hated tax collectors. They tended to be corrupt. They, they were selfish. They were overly dishonest on what they did. And the people had no choice but to follow what they were told to do by the tax collector or a threat being thrown in, in prison or have it even more taken from them. So people despise us. This was scandalous that Jesus would call Matthew a tax collector to follow him. Now, Matthew accepts the call, and he is so excited that he invites Jesus to come to his place for a party. And you can imagine the guest list. The guest list is basically the same as the naughty list that we have. There's other tax collectors who are invited. There's people who would be considered adulterers and robbers and thieves who, who fall on that, that sinner's list. Now, the, re- the religious leaders see this happening, and they're offended by it. And so they question Jesus and his disciples as they look through the window, and they, they think to themselves, this guy calls himself a rabbi. If he is a rabbi, how could he associate with people such as these? Like he should know better than what he's doing. Why would he eat and why would he drink with tax collectors and sinners? And overhearing this question, Jesus responds to them, Luke 5, verse 31, when he says words that a lot of us will probably know. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You see, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. See, Jesus is the wonderful counselor who came for the sick. But first, we have to recognize that we're sick. Those in the party, Matthew, those many others who Jesus encountered throughout his ministry, they were aware of their illness. They knew that they had faults. They knew that they had needs. They knew that they were sick. Some of these people had physical ailments. They were blind. They were lame. They were lepers. And when they encountered him in faith, they were healed. Others had relational ailments. Jesus, tell my brother to divide his inheritance properly. Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? There must be a limit somewhere. Others had a spiritual poverty that they knew, such as, such as Nicodemus who came in the middle of the night to ask Jesus questions about the kingdom of God because there was an emptiness within him and he had questions that needed to be answered. He had a spiritual poverty within himself. But then there are those who were outside who had the appearance of having it all together, had the appearance of health, had the appearance of wellness, but to some degree were living in some level of denial. And so Jesus' statement can be taken on two levels here. You see, there's a bit of a backhanded nature to the statement. On one hand, he's saying, I have come for those who are sick. These people who I'm in the middle of this party with, they know they're sick. I've come to heal them. But then he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's saying to them, if only you knew 
how sick you are. Then you might be healed as well. You see, Jesus came for the sick. And the reality is, all of us are sick in some way at some time in our lives. All of us are sick. And this time of year has such an ability to magnify the reality of that, that it kind of draws that sickness to the surface. Maybe for you this year, it's a matter of stress, where, where you're, you're worried about finances or, or your ability to provide the way that you want to or the way that they think people want you to. It's the business of the season. There's so much to get done, and I need to get this done by a certain date, by a certain time, in a certain way, and I have to do it with a smile on my face. Maybe it's fear. We're worrying about what's going to happen in 2019 to the point where we lose sleep at night. Loneliness. You're not looking forward to those family gatherings because there's a chair empty that wasn't empty the year before. Maybe it's a family sickness where you don't enjoy family coming. You're actually dreading it. You know it's a necessary evil. It has to happen, but you're not looking forward to it because there's these things that we just don't talk about. We just kind of dance around them. And don't bring that up because it will wreck Grandma's Christmas. If you allow yourself to get a little vulnerable, to become a little vulnerable today, where are you sick? Where are you sick? Is, is it stress? Is it fear? Is it loneliness? Is it relational? Is it an addiction? What is that sickness that exists? And once you name it, there's good news for you because Jesus is the wonderful counselor who came for the sick. And having acknowledged this, if we're going to experience the healing that comes from the wonderful counselor, we need to take the next step then where we need to be open and we need to be honest with the wonderful counselor. You see, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman who is coming to a well to fetch water. And he engages her in a conversation. And Jesus knows her and over the part of the conversation, he knows this woman. And he knows that she's been searching for something. That she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. She's, she's made some bad choices. She's bet on some bad guys to the point where she's had multiple marriages and now she is living with the stigma of having been divorced multiple times to the point where she's not able to come and fetch water at a time when the other women would come. She needs to come at a time when nobody else would dare come get water in the, in the peak of the heat of the sun to avoid that social stigma. And through all this, she has not found what she's looking for. She's still searching. And over the course of this conversation... Jesus asks her for a drink. But then, but then he says to her, he says, you know what? If you knew me, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. Because I have a living water that I could give you so that you would never thirst again. Now, obviously, she wants this. <laughs> Who would not want the living water so you never thirst again? Never thirst again. I never have to come to the well again. So I got one more chore off my list. I wouldn't have to face the social stigma of having to do this, but never be thirsty. I would find maybe what I've been searching for. So she asked Jesus for it. But before he responds to that question, he goes, you know what? How about this? First, go call your husband and come back with him. Now she knows her sickness. And Jesus just touched the nerve of it. Because she now faces a choice. Is she going to be honest with him? Or is she going to lie? Like she could lie. She could say, oh, Jesus, my, my husband, he, he's out of town on work. You know, or he, he's busy. He, he's working hard and I shouldn't disturb him. Or, or, you know, he's not very social and he's kind of watching the game and doesn't like to be disturbed while he's watching the game. 
He could have lied. She could have, she could have lied about it, but no. Instead, what does she do? She admits the truth. She says, I have no husband. And admitting the truth and honestly responding to the question, Jesus then continues and is able then to add to that and say, that is true. In fact, you're right. Because you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You see, when we're honest with the wonderful counselor, the conversation can continue in the right direction. And this allowed Jesus the opportunity to then, because she had opened up and been honest with him about her sickness, he was then able to reveal to her who he was. He was then able to reveal to her and say, I am the one you've been searching for. I am the one who knows you. I am the one who cares for you. I am the one who can give you what you've been looking for and these other men. I am the one who can give you that living water so that you will never thirst again. There are possibly some people here who can identify that sickness. But at the same time, need to take that next step of honestly bringing it to God. Of bringing that sickness to the wonderful counselor. You know, in Psalm 55, verse 22, invites us to do just that. When, when it says, in the, in the psalmist says, cast your cares upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Now, this is a pretty straightforward principle. That if we don't open up about our problems, we can't access the help that's available to us. If you go to a doctor because you have a broken leg, and when he asks you what's wrong, you tell him about your hangnail, you're going to leave with painful limps still. If you go to a counselor because you're in a failing marriage, and he asks you what's wrong, and you tell him you have a, a fear of elevators or something ridiculous that's not even related to that, you are going to go home and still have crisis in your life. You see, being honest with the wonderful counselor requires humility, and it requires courage, but it leads to the proper results. So what cares do you carry with you this Christmas? What is the name of that care, that burden that can be cast upon the Lord? Is it a past hurt? A relationship that is strained? Maybe, maybe it's just a, a physical body that's failing and leads to fear. Maybe it's anxiety about tomorrow. Whatever that name is, what are you to do with it? According to Psalm 55, you are to cast your cares upon the Lord. You're to be brutally honest with the wonderful counselor. And here's the thing, he can handle it. He can handle it and he promises that he will sustain you. And that he will not let you fall. So once we recognize our need for the wonderful counselor, once we get honest with him about our cares, the next thing we need to do is to listen. Is to listen to him. Have you ever heard the voice of God? Jesus declared that, that if we are his followers, that we would learn to hear his voice. He said that we would. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You know what I mean when I say hear his voice? Am I talking about audibly hearing his voice like you're hearing mine with your ears? Well, I want to suggest to you that's not beyond the realm of possibility. This might be hard for some people to believe, but there are a few times in my life when God has spoken to me. And so, for example, when I talk about being called to the ministry... I don't just mean there was this time when I sat back for a while and went through some reflection and pondering and, and discovered 
my purpose in life. I mean, there was an evening when I was 17 years old where I just dropped off my friend David his house and pulled up to the corner of Tabor Boulevard and McKinley Crescent, and God spoke to me. And, and called me to the ministry. Now, I don't mean with audible words. I mean as though I had just heard somebody beside me say words, and it was so real and so present and so undeniably true and real in my life to the point where I sat at that stop sign for a long time, and I verbally responded to him and told him exactly what I thought of his idea and how that was not going to happen. This is ridiculous. You've got the wrong guy. You don't know what you're doing, and this is crazy. It took some years, but you know who won the argument. Because here I am with you. So I, I do believe that God can speak to us in this manner. But I also believe that he speaks to us more often in other ways. What do these other ways look like? Well, just to give you some ideas, I, I believe God can speak to us through his word. That when we open up the Bible, that when we read scripture, which is his revelation of who he is, of his character, his wills, his likes, his desires, his plans, his purposes for, for you, for humanity, for, for us as a church. I believe he can speak to us through that. I believe in it so much that you're hopefully, hopefully getting sick of hearing me talk about your space and place. That we all need to have that space, that physical space that we spend time with God, that, that physical space in our calendar that we carve out time to spend time in prayer and reading with him so that we can find our place in his story, which is the word of God. If you're not doing that but want to start that this Christmas, we want to help you with that. Uh, if you're using the online sermon notes, so you version, you'll see on the list of notes today, I've included a Bible reading plan that you can use for a 10-day reading plan that will follow this sermon series. We've actually ordered paper copies of those that will be available at the Connection Kiosk. They just haven't arrived yet, which is really inopportune since I'm talking about it today. But they will be here next week. Find your space in your place. Because God can speak to us through his word. I believe he can speak to us through music. Through songs, whether we're singing songs here in the service or if you're driving home listening to songs. That as you reflect upon those words, as it, as it causes an emotional response to happen, and God can take some of that and some of the emotions and some of the reflections and bring them together into a revelation, into an understanding of what he's doing and wants to do in your life. I believe he can speak to you through my words. Even through the, the fumbling and stumbling of my words at time, that, that he can take that offering of blessing, that offering of preaching and use it as a blessing into your life to make you sound, make it sound like for some reason I was speaking directly to you, which is not me, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you through these words. God can speak to you through people around you. Maybe it's somebody who's sitting on the pew beside you, the person to the left of you. Maybe the person to the right of you. He can speak to you through your friends through your family, through your life group. I believe he can even speak to you through the people at work and school who don't know him. He is still powerful enough to work through them to speak to you. And then through your situations where special events happen. Something seemingly miraculous takes place in your life. Something you had hoped for, dreamed for, prayed about. It takes place and you're now faced with a choice. Do we chalk it up to coincidence? Or do we say God is moving? And God is real and he is speaking. I believe God speaks to us. And we can listen to the wonderful counselor. How has he spoken to you in the past? Because the promise is this, is that the more you try to listen to him, the more I believe you'll hear his voice. But here's the thing. There are so many voices in the world. 
There are so many different voices, different ideas and beliefs and directions, things that the world wants you to follow after to the point where it can create this, this indecipherable cloud of noise. But Jesus is saying in John 10 here, he's saying that the sheep hear one voice. That in the midst of this cloud of indiscernible noise and volume that's taking place maybe in our world and our, around our lives, there is one voice that carries over top of it that we can learn to tune our ears to. And that is the voice of Jesus. We see this happen in our, in our worlds. Parents know this, that you can take your child to a playground and there could be noise and ruckus going on. But the minute you call, Joshua, Joshua hears my voice over the other voices because I am his father and he's tuned to that voice. You've maybe seen this with a newborn baby who doesn't know the world beyond 12 inches in front of its face. But when it hears its mother's voice, its eyes light up. Because it knows that voice. It speaks to this deep bond, this deep connection that exists between, between mother and child, between father and son, that exists between sheep and shepherd, between us and the wonderful counselor. But here's the other aspect of this verse. Of this verse. You see, shepherds of the day, when Jesus was sharing this with the original audience, they didn't drive their sheep. They didn't stand behind them with, with a whip. They didn't stand behind them and, and force them to go and drive them a certain direction. They didn't push them or force them. A shepherd stood out in front and called them and called them to follow after him. Therefore, once we recognize our need for the wonderful counselor, once we get honest with him about our cares and start to listen to him, we then need to do one more thing. We have to follow him. We have to do what he says. You see, you can receive the greatest instructions, the greatest counsel, the most wonderful advice possible. But if you don't act upon it, it really has no value. Now, how many of us here have gone to the doctor and heard you need to exercise you need to eat right. Here's another popular one. Finish all the pills in the bottle, right? How many of us have medicine chests full of half-empty pill bottles? We're told to finish all of our prescription. Do we do those things? No, we don't. We know we don't. We'd be a much healthier society if we did all those things. We know we don't. Why? Well, myriad of reasons. Sometimes we think we know better. Sometimes we think, well, it... It's not going to work. The doctor doesn't actually know what he's talking about. Sometimes, probably more often than not, we just frankly don't like the instructions that we've been given to do. Exercise? Yeah. No. Eat right? Yeah. No, we don't actually like what we hear. And so we think to ourselves, do I really need to forgive? Do I really need to stop spending money in this way on these things? Do I really need to apologize do I really need to obey God's commands? Do I really need to, to share my faith in those situations when I felt that prompting and stayed silent? Well, if we're listening to the great shepherd, if we're listening to the wonderful counselor and we hear him say those things, if that's the voice that carries over the crowd of noise, then yes, we do. We do need to do those things because our following after that voice is not dependent upon our will, upon our desires, or upon our logic. We follow because we believe that the great shepherd cares for us. We believe that he guides us. We believe that he is the one who can protect us. 
We follow because we believe that the wonderful counselor has wisdom that is indescribable, that we are tapping into knowledge and direction that is beyond words, that is beyond this world. In James chapter 1, he, he reminds us of this when he says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and then so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The point James is trying to make here is that when you look in the mirror at that moment, when, when, not just a passing glance, like when you look and stare at the mirror, for that moment you are receiving an accurate self-evaluation. We've all done this. We've all stood in front of a mirror and we're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mole. I should get that checked out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Airline running away still. Right? Wrinkles? Not if I do this. Right? Teeth? Yeah. They're still pretty white. No, we've all stood there and popped, plucked, picked something. We've all done this. But then we walk away, and we forget that image, and begin to deceive ourselves. This is a human, there's all sorts of research that's been done into the human nature of this. There was a research done into college students, and they asked them, compared to other people, compared to your peers, how do you measure up? And over 90% of them said, well, compared to my peers, I'll have a better job, I'll own a nicer house, and I'm going to make a better living. My peers, they're more likely to get cancer, divorce, and get fired. When they talked to business managers, 90% of business managers rated themselves as superior in performance to their peers. This is a tendency that most of us have. This is part of the human nature that we struggle with. Now, I don't want you to go home and become overly obsessed with your appearance. I don't want you to go to work or school and start doubting yourselves. That's not the point. The point is this, is that when the wonderful counselor speaks to us, when he offers us correction, when he offers us direction, when he wants to lead us towards perfection, in that moment, he's giving us that accurate self-appraisal. If you have heard from the wonderful counselor and you therefore know what is required to move in those directions, you've received that accurate self-appraisal and the choice now becomes yours. Because he won't drive you in that direction. He will call you to follow him in that direction. And if we believe that Jesus is the Peleat, the wonderful counselor, of whom all wisdom and knowledge and guidance resides, that in him we can find beyond knowledge and wisdom and direction, beyond words, beyond what our ability gives us, beyond what this world has to offer. If we believe that he is the one who we need, if he is the one of whom we can cast our cares upon, the one we can listen to and the one that we can confidently trust and follow, if we believe that the one named Jesus whom we celebrate at Christmas, the one who came to save his people, if we believe that is who he is, then there is great hope and there is great assurance and there is indescribable joy because that is available to all people. Amen? Jesus, the one who saves. He can save us from having to carry our cares alone. He can save us from being overwhelmed with temptation. He, he can lead us in down the correct paths for our lives. But he's also the one in whom we can place our trust for eternity and for salvation. You see, he's not only the counselor. Jesus also came to be our Savior. 
Because Jesus cares about our brokenness. Whatever that care is that we can cast upon the Lord, Jesus knows about it and cares about it and wants us to bring that to him. But he also understands our sin. He understands those things that we've done, those, those choices, those decisions that are contrary to God's will, that are contrary to God's plan, those things that actually separate us from God because, because we do those wrong things, but God never has. And so separation exists. And that's a problem beyond us to resolve. And because that problem exists, all of us are searching in this land. All of us are thirsty, looking for living water. Like the woman at the well. Search all of her life. Never finding fulfillment. Never being satisfied. Never finding what she needed in this world or in other people. But in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was worthy, who was able, and who was willing to pay the price that leads to our separation. And he loves each of you enough that he went upon the cross and gave his life to pay that price. And because he did, the best Christmas gift a person can ever receive is the forgiveness of those sins which leads to eternal life. Scripture tells us that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The wisest counsel I can give you is to call upon the name Jesus. Whether that be for the first time to receive that forgiveness of your sins and enter into that relationship with the Good Shepherd. The wisest counsel I can give you is to make that profession of faith that you can therefore go forward with Him. And for those who have made that commitment, whether it be today or another day, in the future or in the past, we then can know Him. We can trust Him. We can listen to Him. And we can follow Him. Why? He's the wonderful counselor. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And his greatness and his wisdom and his knowledge and his love is beyond words. I want to invite you if you'd stand with me. I just want to say a word of prayer as the worship team comes back up on the platform as well. And before I pray, I just want to ask, if you're here today with with one of those burdens, you know that there's some sort of, we'll call it a sickness, but it, it could be an ailment, whatever that is, whether physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, whatever that ailment is. I want to take time to pray for you right now. And I invite you to, to pray along with me as, as I pray, just within your own heart, just, just to bring that before God. To say, God, you are the wonderful counselor. And I want to be brutally honest with you, because I believe that not only do you know and care, but that you can lead me forward. But maybe there are those here today, too, who, who have never taken that first step of faith, who have never thanked Jesus for the gift of forgiveness of their sins, that for the gift of him dying on their place upon the cross. Or maybe we need to go to a point of just recommitting and saying, no, I've done that in the past, but boy, I took a path. But that path is coming back now. I want to invite you as well to pray along with me and to make that, that, that profession, that confession within your own life and your heart. If you fall into those categories, we also have people at the front here following the service who want to pray with you. Feel free to come forward following the service and, and, and to enter into a time of prayer with those people too that we can be a family with you. We can support you and encourage you during those times. So wherever you may fall, join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor. God, he is the one upon whom we can bring all of our cares. Whatever that care may be, and, and the people here that, that have it in their hearts are naming those cares now. 
that God, that we can bring those things to you that you already know about them. But God, you have just been sitting there waiting and longing for us to, to come and to trust you with them. God, I pray that the people here who bring those cares before you, even this very moment in these, these moments that follow our service here today, would come to have a fresh understanding and experience of your presence with them. That you are the wonderful counselor who knows them and loves them and cares for them. That you want to guide them through the situations they may find themselves in. That you did not promise we would be free of trouble. You promised the exact opposite. But you also promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us in the midst of those storms. That you would lead us through. That we would hear your voice and you would be the one we could follow through. God, for those here who, who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. God, in this moment right now, I just pray that in, in their hearts that they would make that confession. They thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins that I could not pay on my own. Thank you for being the one who stood in that gap. Because of my belief that you are the Son of God who died for my sins and rose victorious over death, I claim that eternal life in Christ. I claim you as my Lord, my Savior, my wonderful counselor. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are for your presence with us and among us, for your leadership, for your guidance, and they stay in our days following.